From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, January 21st. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, Impact Alpha's David Bank joins me to discuss the week's news, Larry Fink, and more. Hi, David. Hey, Monique. Um, and I'll have a chat with Just Capital's Martin Whitaker about their new rankings, the Just 100. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. Larry Fink dropped his annual letter to CEOs. Did he drop the ball? The BlackRock chief walked a fine line. Activists say the $10 trillion asset manager doesn't walk its talk, particularly on climate change. Conservative critics have threatened to pull state pension funds and other capital from managers who push too hard on climate and ESG. Fink did stake out his support for stakeholder capitalism and outlined plans to let big institutional investors vote their own shares on shareholder resolutions this spring. In the brief, Jessica Pothering wrote about an innovative finance facility for water in Kenya. KIFFWA is providing catalytic pre-construction financing for clean water and sanitation infrastructure, like small pipelines and water treatment plants. Commercial capital is available for projects that are ready to go. The gap is in getting them ready. And One World's Scott Saslow asked whether impact venture capital funds outperform traditional VC. Saslow sorted through the data and found that the answer is yes, no, and maybe. Check out Impact Alpha for the details. In climate funding news, Energy Impact Partners raised $200 million to invest in tech that can decarbonize heavy industries like steel and cement. The Deep Decarbonization Frontier Fund has already invested in the battery storage pioneer Form Energy and the green steel maker Boston Metal. Investors are excited about the digital transformation of business in emerging markets. In Mexico, Fair Play raised $35 million to provide revenue-based working capital and inventory financing for online businesses. In India, Aria raised $60 million for warehouses to help smallholder farmers store their crops and working capital to hold them over until they sell their harvests. And in East Africa, Copia secured $50 million to deliver goods to rural African consumers. Copia's 25,000 shopkeepers and agents, mostly women, take orders that Copia delivers within 24 to 48 hours, even to remote areas in Uganda and Kenya. Copia is expanding to Rwanda and Tanzania. Impact's Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and more in their email each day this week. All right, David, what was the buzz in the Impact Alpha newsroom this week? Well, I mean, it had to be Larry Fink's letter, as you mentioned. Um, it landed with kind of a thud. We tried to take the angle that, you know, the fact that he is his take on uh, stakeholder capitalism and 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 climate risk and, and all that has become so mainstream that he sort of didn't quite get the reaction that he used to get. But we got taken we got taken to task by some readers who said we're letting him off too easy. And really, you got to got to start holding uh, BlackRock more more accountable for for, as you said, walking the talk. And I think not just BlackRock. Let's hold everyone accountable. This is not the time to be pulling punches, is it? 
No, and 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 I think that's what um, you know sort of is going to going to emerge here, and and BlackRock certainly be in the hot seat as the proxy votes and 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 shareholder meetings roll out later this year, um, particularly on climate, but also on things like working conditions and disclosure of, of various things, um, even things like public benefit corporations, which he's ostensibly in favor of, and and there's going to be a bunch of resolutions uh, asking companies to consider changing their charters to codify their social commitments. Well, I think the governance documents to the degree that they've held us back needs to change. If regulation holds us back from doing what's right, that needs to change. I think we're all in agreement there. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other uh, stories we, we like to see was about block power. Danelle Baird, the CEO, has been a guest on this podcast, and they secured $30 million this week for their energy retrofit work. So um, they take old buildings, city buildings and others, um, and and electrify them and, and insulate them and everything like that, and includes a citywide partnership in Ithaca, New York. It really hits on two kind of systemic risks, climate change and income inequality. You talk a lot about systemic risk in your day job at TIP, no? I do, and I love to see what they're doing at Block Power, and we need to have this kind of change happening at all levels, local as well as at you know, countrywide scale. So, you know, yes, my day job talks a lot about systemic risk, and we released our own report last week, Systemic Stewardship, Investing to Address Income Inequality. And this guide shows how investors can protect and enhance the long-term value of their assets while acting as stewards of underlying social and environmental systems. This is what we need to be thinking about these days. Yeah, we'll have more on that report in the brief next week. But, um, Thinking about uh, uh, sort of systemic risks and uh, stewardship, um, we did uh, catch up with Martin Whitaker of Just Capital. They've just released the Just 100 to ask him just what the Just 100 rankings are ranking. Well, we're ranking uh, the largest 1,000 publicly traded companies in America on how they do, how they perform on the priorities of the American people which we figure out through a very detailed and uh, multi-phase public opinion research process. So the whole idea is to sort of capture how ordinary Americans on a representative basis think about this idea of a just company. What does it do? Um, What are the criteria for being just? And then we go and gather data and, and, and analyze the performance of the Russell 1000 as best we can. And then we produce rankings and all sorts of other things with that. And so I understand that the the polling, as you say, um, has showed that folks are most concerned about uh, fair and living wages, creating jobs in the U.S., and prioritizing accountability to all stakeholders. Is that was the, was number three? That's exactly right. So forty percent. If you add, you know, we 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 basically run a, what's called a max diff, where you you require respondents to choose between different characteristics, and when you do that, you get a weighting. So those three issues you just mentioned form basically 40% of the weighting. Um, I can also tell you that if you added up all of the the worker-related issues, so that would be like fair and living wage, as you mentioned, but also things like uh, you know training and workplace culture and DEI and things like that, that's another, you get 40% from the worker category alone. So it's very, it's very heavily weighted to the relationship between a company and its workforce. And then the argument is that companies that perform well on those kind of scores also perform better uh, financially. Is that right? That's what the data shows. Exactly. We've had an index tracking the top companies in every sector that's live for, uh, gosh, four years or so. It's, um, you know, routinely outperforms the benchmark. 
Uh, we have an ETF, a, a fund that's run off the off that index. But we've we looked at this from lots of uh, angles. You know, what's the relationship between business and financial performance, profitability, margins, uh, other other sort of accounting uh, metrics, and we we look at the relationship between those things and how just a company is. And you know, as you said, you see a very po- strong and positive relationship between those two things. So the pushback might be, you know, okay, that's great for stock pickers, and it's a good signal, and it's and it and it correlates. But what? But how does it actually change the world? So what's the kind of broader strategy or theory of change? Well, it's basically to incentivize companies to be more just. You know, if you if you have a system whereby companies are incentivized to invest in their workers, you know, support healthy communities, create good jobs, uh, and so on, you know, so on and so forth, that's creates a race to the top. What what you do is then you engage the private sector, you know, which is multiple times the size of the of, of government and certainly orders of magnitude greater than the philanthropic uh, industry. You get gov you, you get business working to solve our problems, not make them worse. Okay, let's get to the winners. It's overwhelmingly tech dominated, at least the top ten, it seemed. Um, and a lot of ESG funds and other portfolios also tend to be tech dominated. So, so your number one was was Alphabet, and then followed by Intel, Microsoft, Salesforce. I guess the only non, you know, the only non tech in the top ten was uh, was B of A, Bank of America, because of the rest of it was then PayPal, Apple, Nvidia, and Verizon. So, um, why so techy? Well, I mean, the chips fall where they may. We, we, you know, we don't see the results of the of the the overall ranking till they're done. Um, I think what what's happening there is when you look at the five categories of stakeholder. So that's workers, communities, uh, customers, um, environment, and and shareholders. And is a company, you know, led with integrity. The way we measure all of those things. These are the companies that do best on all of those things. That's really the simple answer. The question would be why, you know, why do we see companies like that, uh, you know, doing so well? And I think, you know, that they have typically been able to invest more in workers. You know, if you have, if you compare Salesforce with, I don't know, Target or Dollar Tree, um, you know, obviously it's a very different dynamic. But you know, I would also say if you pull the lens back and looked at the just one hundred. Uh, overall, you see every sector represented. You see lots of you know diverse companies there, and and I think there's no reason in seven years now of doing this. There's no reason why any company that we see can't be more just and can't be towards the top of the list. And we also, by the way, David, break things down by industry and by theme. So, you know, if you're only interested in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example, you could just search by that and see who does a great job. Or if you're only interested in you know the, the 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 fossil fuel industry or oil and gas you could go and see um how companies stacked up on in that industry so we we try to make the the platform itself as accessible and as customizable as possible i could see how uh you know fair and living wage and and creating jobs that's kind of uh the data might be you know pretty quantifiable in those how do you quantify prioritize accountability to all stakeholders it's really about walking the talk and you can measure that through disclosure we measure that through, you know, our, our companies, um, for example, embedding um, ESG uh, or just KPIs and executive compensation, uh, things like that. So it's a way, essentially, what that what what we think that really means is a company should be doing more to create value for their stakeholders. And how do we know they're doing that? 
And so that's that's when you know when you look at it from that point of view, like okay, what are they saying about what they're doing? What's the strength of their policies? And then how does that you know how are they incentivize actually do those things? I know you've been talking with uh, a lot of CEOs over the last couple of weeks um, about the the results and and um, uh, including through your new partnership with CNBC. So what have you been hearing from the CEOs? Well, the CEOs, I think everybody is is recognizing that this is now the key to being successful in business. You know, stakeholder value creation is all about being a successful company, competing domestically and internationally, and creating value for shareholders. So the whole partnership with CNBC sort of recognizes that, you know, if you're in business or in finance, you can't ignore this. And And I think the CEOs now are at a point where, you know, they're they're really trying to tell a company story. They're really trying to respond to critics. You know, there's a lot of cynicism around ESG as to whether it's just, it's all greenwashing, whether companies are even doing anything or whether it's just, you know, woke uh, politics. Uh, you know, companies shouldn't be involving themselves in, in sort of social issues. So the, the companies now and their leaders are speaking up on all of that. And and interestingly, our polling really makes it clear that that's what the public expects. You know, it, they expect companies and their leaders and CEOs in particular um, on a personal level to be to be able to have a view and to speak up and speak out on what companies are doing and why that's meaningful. Uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock put out his letter uh, this week and struck some of these same themes. Um, the reaction was kind of interesting because some folks said, you know, Hey, that's become conventional wisdom already. Like, like that. Like, it's now well known. And Larry Fink is, you know, may have been out in front a few years ago, but now the rest of the world is caught up. And then others, of course, said, you know, maybe, you know, as you said, it's all hot air and it doesn't amount to, 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 to as much change as folks, you know, might have thought. Um, so, where do you come come down on sort of where we are on this? Uh, should we could we call it a just transition? Yeah, I love that. Uh, it is a just transition. Where are we? Um, I think it's pretty simple. We're in now a period of accountability. I, I think enough talk, who's walking the walk? That's where we are. So we need data. We need transparency. We need leaders, companies that are really good at and, and really serious about you know, being just, showing the world what they're doing. And, and I think that is the key. How do you know if a company tells you what they're doing on, on an issue that you care about, how do you know? How do you know for sure? How do you trust that information? I think that's where we are today. So leaders and leaders and laggards, and, and, and as you seem to be demonstrating, the leaders, the leaders will, uh, will extend their lead because of, 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 of paying attention to these kind of issues. Absolutely. Well, um, and, and it's the same, you know, if you look at financial uh, accounting, you know, this is just an extension of that. You know, you have to believe those numbers. Well, you also have to believe what a company's doing for their stakeholders. Well, Martin, you know, there is kind of a lot of pushback um, on the the elite. Um, there's a book out this week by Peter Goodman um, talks about Davos man, and it kind of takes on some of these, um, some of these themes. What, what's your take on, on the, on the critique? I think a critique of stakeholder capitalism is always fair. I think we all want it to be better. We're all, we're all seeing that, you know, the path we're on right now is really not sustainable. So let's look for, a better way to do business and a better way to to sort of you know advance capitalism so to speak and stakeholder capitalism to me makes a lot of sense done properly so it's okay to ask pointed questions about how that's happening i think you know uh, the davos man approach to me is a little cynical i think mark benioff 
is someone who should be celebrated as as a pioneer in this thinking of stakeholder capitalism, you know, and and Salesforce obviously is a just top 10 company. We do that. Um, but I think the overall idea that somehow either we continue with a with with total free market trickle-down economic shareholder primacy, or we raise taxes and have government solve our problems, I think that's outmoded thinking. You know, to me, we need a we need a vision that actually gets business and government working together more constructively, that gets the private sector to do more, and that creates the incentives for that to happen. That's what this is all about. And I think Goodman and other comment, commentators that I've seen on this kind of miss that. Well, there sometimes is kind of a phenomena where the critique comes from the, you know, I, I suppose the left, as it were, um, uh, about whether the impact is really as genuine or deep or transformational as, as all that, but that the effects might be to actually re-entrench the, the status quo, which said, you know, which was, which was opposed to these kind of measures um, for, you know, sort of, as you said, shareholder primacy reasons. They can say, well, there's no impact anyway, so why should we even do it? Look, there's there's mistrust and criticism on both sides, the right and the left. The left thinks it's all greenwashing and and sort of you know uh, grandstanding and posturing. It doesn't really mean anything. It's certainly not going to solve any problems. And the right believes that this is all you know politics through the back door. And you know, unfortunately, that's the society we live in right now, where you know where there's a dearth of trust and. You know, I, I think where that takes you is not a very good place. You know, we're talking about an unraveling of a healthy democracy if if you don't have enough people with faith in the system. So I think stakeholder capitalism to me is a little bit about that. It's about restoring some faith in business and how we as, as sort of, you know, uh, citizens of this planet can can get together to create a better future. And I think stakeholder capitalism is all about trying to align the the needs of different stakeholders more effectively. So you grow the pie for everybody. And you raise the bar over time as 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 and, and you keep going step by step. So markets are good at that, right? That's that's what markets do. And I think um, you know, it beats the alternative. Indeed. Well, thank you, Martin Whitaker of Just Capital, The Just 100. You can read more about that on Impact Alpha and, and I guess see you on CNBC as well, Martin, right? Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. That's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. Subscribe to get full access to Impact Alpha and The Daily Brief. Right now, we're offering podcast listeners $100 off their first subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.